Hello and welcome into the Section 109 podcast. I'm your host, Breezy. I'm here with Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Hello there. And today we are reviewing the CFC women's season that was. We're back. They're back. We're, they're back. And uh, there were highs. There were lows. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of them. But before we do, I want to put a little caveat out there. If you're a player or a family member of a player and you're listening to this, um, there's going to be moments that might be negative, right? There will be moments that might be, you know, the, the season's highs and lows, right? So, like, what I don't want you to do is take this personal if you can help it. Um, we're a family. Once a blue, always a blue is a real thing. Um, I, we believe it. We mean it. And, you know, sometimes you're disappointed in your sibling because of how things went or what they did, but you don't love them any less, right? So we don't love anybody any less as a collective or as a single. Um, we just, you know, there are some moments here that were negative and many great, great moments. So as we review this, please don't take it personal if you can. We love you. You know, we hope we're going to see a bunch of you next year. Um, yeah, so thank you for coming and hanging out with us in 109. For those, those of you who did for men's games, thank you for the time spent at CBC after games, you know, thank you for the podcast we were able to do with some of you, you know, for being part of the women's team return. This is an, a massive, massive thing for, for Chattanooga football club, for the Chattahooligans and for us as fans, you know, the return of the women's team was really, really important to us. And look, you guys represented us as well as you could represent us, uh, in, in like spirit and in, in everything. Like we, I'm, I'm so proud. I have no problems with how anybody represented us. Um, you know, there's some results on the field that we will we'll talk about that maybe we didn't enjoy. Um, that I don't think any of us enjoyed you guys as well, but that doesn't take away anything from, uh, how we feel about you and how much we love you guys. So, um, thank you for being a part of the women's team. Uh, if you're listening to this, I hope you're not turn it off. Don't, don't listen to us. We're idiots. Uh, and yeah, I hope, hopefully we'll see you guys next year, uh, at tryouts in, uh, February ish. There are two, there are two things. There are two things I want to mention. Number one, uh, once a blue, always a blue means that even if you go play for somebody else in the future, you're still a part of our family uh, and always will be. And that's, and that's really, really important to know. Uh, you're always welcome back in 109 uh, with us uh, in the supporter section, men's games, women's games, whatever. Like you're always welcome back with us in the future. Uh, and a big thank you to everyone involved in, in the, uh, in, in this whole, this whole process for the CFC women's team return, uh, obviously players, coaches, uh, players, family members that, you know, probably figured that they were going to be home for the summer and was like, Oh no, sorry, I'm going to Chattanooga instead. Um, or if it's a, you know, Academy parents saying, yeah, go for it, kid, take the next step up or, or whatever it was. Thank you so much for, for dedicating your summer to, to this team and to this return team. Uh, and thanks to the, to the, to the front office and, and the women's advisory board and everyone who, who spent um, just ridiculous amounts of time and energy on, on this women's team. Uh, and I'd lobbied for its return for years and years and years. Uh, this process did not just start, you know, last year or anything like that. We know that, that folks have been, uh, clamoring for the return as soon as it went away. And uh, every one of you played a big role in that. Uh, and so thank you to all of you. Yep. And it, and again, there will be some critiques in this. There will be some some goals for next year that we think that should be a thing. There will be some, 
you know, looking back on, on negative moments off the field too, you know, maybe stadium stuff, maybe whatever, doesn't mean we love you any less front office staff or who, you know, team personnel, whoever's listening to this, but you know, we want to be honest as honest as we can in our, in our reviews. So, um, all right, Matthew. So we jump straight into a quick regular season recap game by game. Let's do that. Yes. Uh, all right. So let's talk the first game back for CFC women, which we've re- luckily reviewed all of these games except for one, um, which we didn't, we weren't able to see, but um, yeah. So Nashville rhythm five, uh, Chattanooga FC women one. Um, that was a tough one, but it was also the least, I don't know, the least gut wrenching of all the losses, I would say, because I was so, so, so happy that they had returned. And I was so happy that we had uh, women's soccer to watch and a close road trip. It was so fun, even though we lost. And when uh, Brianna Smotherman scored that goal, um, uh, so, so, so much, so good. So much like pent up energy, years of pent up uh, energy came out on that one. Yeah, I, uh, I I recall. I'm, I was really glad that that someone had told us that, like, hey, by the way, Nashville's probably the best team in this uh, in this conference, just FYI, and like probably by a lot. Which didn't they win like five zero against Knoxville in the uh, in the conference playoff final? I think so. so. Like, yikes! Uh, so I was glad to I was glad to know that in advance because uh, it really helps make the it made that night not about the soccer on the field. It was about the, the supporters being there. Uh, a lot of the front office was there um, about the team competing and, and showing this, this new, mostly new crop of players and, and really the, the WPSL community as a whole, Hey, we're back. And, you know, we're on a mission to make this, we're on a mission to make this, this program, the, the CFC women's program, the best amateur program in the United States. Yeah. And I'll, I'll spoiler alert. That's my goal. Hell yeah. Uh, let me start out here by saying like, fuck the WPSL. Like let's just, <laughs> let's just start out. Let's just start out real clear. Uh, and sorry, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast, don't listen to it around your children. We're two idiots. Uh, usually drinking right now. We're drinking, I'm drinking water and Matthew's drinking what looks like black coffee, but uh, no, fuck the WPSL. This no ball kids like thing, this lack of professionalism. It's, it's an absolute fucking joke. I can't, I cannot stand it. I do understand that like there there were teams that were better uh, on the field than us. Spoiler alert: if you, if you didn't watch the season, we we had a, a tough season on the field. But nobody even took it moderately serious off the field, except for us. There were ball kids at one game the entire season. That was Tennessee Force away, the non playoff game. Every other team game, every other game with uh at an opposing team had no ball kids so like alabama for example which we'll get to in a minute they just kicked it long anytime they felt like it the tennessee force uh playoff game in the in uh, where they changed the venue which i'm sure had something to do with it like they didn't they just just anyone could just kick the ball out it could roll down the hill and you'd have like 30 second break in the game um between the unlimited subs and the no ball kids and yeah it just i, I was so disappointed in the wp i'm not surprised um, I remember the the N uh, the NPSL from before. I remember the WPSL from before. But man, this was annoying. Um, and we got the we got it straight off the bat at Nashville when the every time the ball would go out, even if maybe it helped us because they were winning, uh, the game was chopped up because the ball might be out for twenty or thirty seconds because you had to go be your own ball kid and go get the ball. Yeah, I, I don't have anything to add to that. It's it's just 
that's just what we expect at this level. Let's so, uh, let's move on beautiful. to the next match, uh, which was in Birmingham at Alabama FC, uh, a zero to three loss. Uh, we moved on to our first home match uh, on June the fourth, and a two one victory over North Alabama. Uh, a match that we've covered extensively. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, talk. Let's talk real briefly about it, and just say like this was one of the highlights of the season. This had the <laughs> most controversial moment of the season. Polly did nothing wrong. Did nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. Um, and we stand for Polly. Justice for Polly. Uh, but we we could have easily lost that game as we were down a player for seventy minutes, roughly, or sixty five minutes, was like forty nine. Yeah, it was like the forty. It was more minute. than a half. Okay, it was more than a half. Put it that way. Um, I'm gonna in when I tell this story to my kids someday. I'm gonna say we were down for like eighty two minutes. She stopped. Uh, she stopped a goal in like the, the first minute of the match. Correct, got a red correct. card that's, and like yeah. That's, that's how, exactly my, how you're gonna that's tell that how, story. That's how I'm gonna tell my kids that story. Um, but we the fact that we played down a player for that long, uh, we just played maybe not our best game of the season, but like we played a good game. And I want to say that because I think there was scored some, a goal while also down down yes, a woman too. Yes. So I just think that that's, that was a highlight of the season, and it's a bummer that it came early, but it was wonderful to win at home. That was the first home game. There was a really nice crowd. Um, you know, that I, was also the only home standalone Saturday game. Yeah, yeah. And it was, and I, 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 by the way, spoiler alert again on some things that we think, like doubleheaders are bad and standalone games are good, and I think that standalone game proved um, that there's some demand for women's soccer in Chattanooga, and I think there was a lot to build on with that game. But anyway, yeah. I just want to I just want to point out that was such a high point. Like the two goals scored were great. The win was amazing. The fight to fight through being down a player for that long, like the Chad highs, Nuga lows at the end, celebrating at CBC afterwards for the first time with the with the women's team who had never done that with us before, um, or if they had, it had. I don't think any of them had. Um, but I don't think we did that four years ago, five years ago, whatever it was. But even if we did, like this was a a new level. So I was really really happy, and that's. Maybe one of my highlights of this, probably my highlight of the season was that game. And then we go into the uh, doubleheader game, uh, the one to two loss against Alabama FC. The, the only thing I have to uh, add here is that we got, we were, uh, we played pretty well. Uh, it was kind of the, we played decent and it was so hot. So, 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 so hot. I, I think I might've lost, a, I don't know, some years off my life from that game. Um, let's not do doubleheaders anymore. Yeah, uh, and we can talk about that later if we, we want to. We will. Um, but that was a close game, and this is this is the part of the season where I realized. Um, so we went into. I did not go into Nashville Rhythm the same way you did. Um, I thought they were the best team, and I was hoping that we were going to be like a close second. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you, I was wrong. <laughs> we were not. I just I had a lot of uh, I had a lot of hope uh, that this team was going to be better than it was on the field, and uh, I was wrong. And so like I knew. So we we lost pretty, we lost at Alabama FC, but like it was a couple individual errors. I felt like some like and and some like really good individual play. And then North Alabama, we beat them, and I'm like, all right. And then we kind of played Alabama FC pretty well. And then the following game, the one we're going into next, the Tennessee Force away, where we got smacked, or, or sorry, oh. Tennessee Force at home. Excuse me, we got smacked three nothing. That's when I realized like we this is going to be a tough year on the field, and we're not going to be does that. We've now played everybody. And we're not the second best team, unfortunately, on the field. We are probably fourth. Now, I would I would argue also that like going forward, we played Tennessee Force away 
who were the beat us in the champ eventually in the finals or in the um playoffs like we played them well and we were lucky not to come away with a draw away from home uh, we played yeah, we skipped we skipped probably rightly that that shellacking by Nashville rhythm at home as well don't, I want to go I want to go straight that. to that Tennessee I want to go straight to that Tennessee force game because that was one of the moments that game away in Knoxville incredible traveling support by the way uh really 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 good uh the, the it was one of those it was one of those times where we, you know coming off a uh two days really a day and a half because the game was in the daytime um, you know, day and a half of rest, mostly the same team. So let's talk going up against, let's no, going up against Tennessee force. Like you, it could have been, it could have been bad. And it was one, it was the best game we've played all season. Yes, correct. So set this, uh, just set the stage for that. We played a women's game on Friday night at home. That was Nashville rhythm, which was a shellacking. We don't need to talk about it anymore. They were the best team in the conference and they made a statement in the first half uh, of that game. We lost six zero, but it, Honestly, could have been worse. Um, Tennessee, then we played uh, a men's game on Saturday night. So Friday night, then Saturday night, and then a women's game Sunday afternoon. So the fact that the the support was as good as it was on that Sunday afternoon from the fans was awesome. Uh, we also went to an amazing uh, beer place, the Beer Castle in Knoxville. Uh, I don't remember what it's called. Schultz, I think, or something. Anyway, regardless, like that place is awesome. I look forward to future road trips there. Um and you can see a picture from that game. And so a lot of the girls have started sharing like goodbyes and whatever else, um, season wrap-ups. And there's a picture of all the Chattahooligans behind um, behind the women's team. So the women's team's on the field and we're kind of in the stands right behind them holding up scars and whatever else. And you can just see it was a really, really good turnout. Um, and while that game was absolutely heartbreaking, I agree with you, it was the best game we played. Um, and I think there was a real bonding thing that happened um, between players and fans. I think we all felt the love from both ways. Um and I think it also showed that like this team did genuinely get better as the season went on. Um, you saw like you saw kind of us have some play better, then have some tough results against better teams, and then like we ended the season with a zero one loss that could have easily been a tie or a win, right? Could have been a one nothing win, could have been a one one tie, could have been a zero zero tie against the second best team in the in the conference, and then a tie against North Alabama. Like we were we finished the season pretty strong for how we started it. Um, and that's the, like the piece of credit that I can give for the on the field stuff is they got, they continue to play better. The players continue to work and try and, and make things better and not give up. And even though we did not arrive and we'll talk about like some grades for the season, we did not arrive where we hoped to arrive in the standings. At least there was never an effort issue and there was never a lack of improvement. It just, this team wasn't, didn't, have the the highs that we hope they would have uh to put a little bow on the regular season that's a one win one draw and six losses uh and then uh the cool thing about the wpsl sometimes is like teams just don't play in the playoffs because they just don't want to so uh alabama fc playoffs were supposed to be the top four teams uh one versus four and two versus three and uh, because Alabama FC, the third seed, uh, decided not to play in any playoffs. We became the third seed by default and traveled to Tennessee Force in Knoxville uh, to play a playoff match. And that one ultimately ended in a 3-1 in a, uh, defeat. And I think it was clear in this one that uh, 
Tennessee force. Maybe they rotated the squad a little bit. Maybe there was a better game plan. We had lost a, we'd already lost a couple of players to to go to move on with their with their summer, and uh, we were just we were just not the we were just not the better team until the second half. Anna Landry going into midfield and starting wrecking shit. Things got real fun then. And Jackie Montez. Jackie Montez on the left side of the diamond in midfield and Anna Lanter on the right side. You had a striker and a center back in the center of midfield, and it got it got fun. So once we got that goal in the second half, it was 3-0 pretty early on, um, and it just looked like that was going to be it. And then we got that goal, I don't remember what minute in the second half, but for the next like 20 minutes, give or take, we were the better team. We were pushing, and if we could have got a second goal, I think we would have got a third. We were um, We were darn, darn close to a second as well. The, and this was back to that fucking WPSL bullshit. There's no, there's no ball kids. So if somebody cleared it, us or them, it could literally roll down the hill a hundred yards away. It could also stop in the grass ten feet away. But like it was, you could kill the game off if you wanted to be. And I don't know that like the teams were a little bit like this, but I don't know that they were like as far as I would take it if I were coach. But like if you chose to, all you'd have to do is kick the ball out of bounds as far as you can. Every time the ball, every time the you get a chance to, and like, and the refereeing was pretty bad and whatever else. But this was like, man, like, I, I there should be, there should be real legitimate fines for teams for not having ball kids. And when I say fines, I mean just like this is the very very fucking basics. They already don't have streams. These teams already don't have like watchable streams. I should say, like, and I realize it's amateur soccer and whatever else. But like, there has to be some sort of incentive to have ball kids. Because with unlimited subs and no ball kids, this is not soccer. This is like take turns kicking the ball out of bounds sometimes. And like, it's just, it's it's such bullshit. But anyway, so like that, this, it was a strong finish to this in the second half to the, you know, wrap up the season essentially. But that game was unfortunately never really in doubt um, because Tennessee Force, for better or for worse, with head coach or assistant coach, excuse me, Tommy Salsa um, for a former CFC player, um, they were better than us and they beat us. And uh, while that was a bummer, um, I was proud of how we finished. Yeah. I was always, I was always proud of the team and the effort and how they competed and how you could tell they knew that they were under it. uh, Especially as the season went on, like they knew, they knew roughly where they were in comparison to some of these other teams and it never stopped them from going out and battling. And I'll always love them for it. Um. Let's uh, let's let's pull out of the of the kind of game by game results, um, and let's look at a little bit of mis- miscellaneous stuff uh, before we before we get into some uh, more maybe more off the field things that we want to talk about in terms of in terms of the uh, the women's team return. So, uh, Breezy, do you have any like miscellaneous things you want to start with? Uh, let's talk about the stream a little bit. Okay. Um, that was not up to CFC standards this year. Just plain and simple. Um, I realized the stream needs help on the men's side too, right? Like it's a, it's a thing that's continually, um, improving and tiny steps forward. But I watched one entire game, the, the North Alabama game that we won two one. um, that game, we went back and watched simultaneously you and I, um, and we talked about it on this podcast afterwards. The graphics were terrible. The like things were all screwed up and I did not go back and watch a bunch of the other games because I was present for all of them. So I didn't feel the need to watch. I watched a little bit, but I did not go back and do like a minute by minute thing like I did on that one. So it is entirely possible that I'm being too a little too harsh. 
But that game was way below our standards. It was very bad. Um, we, the men's stream and the women's stream should look identical. And in that game, they didn't. Now, the men's stream is not good enough. I want to be clear with that. Like, there's some work to do. You can't have the wrong player graphics coming up. You can't have the wrong player, like, picture and the right and the name of the someone. Like, you can't have that stuff. But in the women's thing, it was just like that, but worse. So for next year, like, it's good that we had, like, we're measure One of the things I think that when we talk about all this stuff, there is a, I think, a tendency and, and a reasonable tendency to say, like, but look how good we did compared to the other WPSL teams. You know, I, I spent, I've spent, Five minutes on this podcast already complaining about the lack of ball kids, right? We had ball kids at every single game. That's not a fair measuring stick. We should not and cannot, and I won't, measure us against a measuring stick that is not an adequate measuring stick. I'm not going to look at the WPSL teams and go, well, Knoxville doesn't have ball kids, so us having ball kids makes it good enough. It's not how it works. Knoxville stream was terrible or unwatchable, and we had a watchable stream, therefore it's good enough. No, we're a professional club. And we should measure ourselves against ourselves. What are our potentials? What is our um, adequate like level of performance? And so there's some things we got absolutely right, and we'll talk about a bunch of things we got right. There's a bunch of things I think we can do better on as a club. When I say we, I mean Chattanooga Football Club as a whole. And the stream wasn't good enough this year, and I think that there's some more emphasis to be placed on it next year. Um, you just can't be getting the little stuff wrong, wrong all the time. And, and that... There was a lot of little stuff on the stream that I watched all the way through that was absolutely unacceptable. I'm going to be unacceptable for a men's stream as well, and I realize some of the same problems exist on both. But yeah, it needs to improve, and I'm I'm not going to simply write it off to well, the other teams don't have streams, so be grateful you have a stream. Fuck that. We can be better, and we should be better. One of the one of the miscellaneous pieces that I want to mention is. Uh, one of the most important things that happened this year was the establishment of culture of uh, making it known, making it a priority that when you play for CFC, whether it be as a men's professional player, as a women's amateur player, there are certain expectations about uh, how you carry yourself off the field, how you uh, interact with the community, like how you become a part of the family. And, uh, and, and how you, how you treat your teammates, how you, you know, how you mesh in. And one of the best things I think from this year was the general team spirit, the general culture building, um, is probably for me, it feels like the best, uh, the best I've, I'd ever seen it on the women's side. Uh, I don't know if others would agree with that or not, but we absolutely got that piece right uh, for 2022. And that's important because the results were not great, but a lot of other things went well. And that culture piece being is so important to say for player recruitment, because oftentimes player recruitment for, for amateur leagues and amateur teams is, you know, is this going to better my, collegiate soccer or my general soccer career uh, prepare me for professional, whatever it might be that, that you're looking for. There's, there's the, there's the, the soccer half of it. And there's also the, do I want to be here for two or three months? Uh, is this enjoyable? So some people like to go to 
we'll just say Nashville, Tennessee or other, you know, Asheville, like a fun, good city or, or, or community or location for their, their summer soccer experience. Uh, I think Chattanooga is a fucking great town. Uh, I think anyone who doesn't want to spend a summer here is absolutely bonkers in the head. But Chattanooga is Chattanooga, and we all have a chip on our shoulder about this town for a reason, because it's a little bit unknown sometimes. And one of the things you can break through, and one of the things we did break through on the men's side, is it became a premier destination for players looking to better themselves and and their careers, and especially for foreign players that were getting overlooked by PDL and and USL League Two squads. Uh, And I hope with, with this first round, of the women's team, uh, establishing the culture, establishing the team spirit, establishing who we are and what we stand for and what we what we do, uh, how we do soccer and how we do soccer together. I am hopeful that we have taken a giant step forward in terms of um, in terms of player recruitment and in terms of making Chattanooga the premier destination for women's amateur soccer in this country. Uh, and that's not going to be a, a, a year one to year two overnight switch. Uh, but I think we've taken a really good step. And I'm excited to see where that goes in the future. I could not agree more. Could not agree more. I, the off the field um, spirit, the there's a lot of things, and we'll talk about them a bunch here. But those, some of the traditions we established or reestablished this year, whether it was on the field or off the field, relating to... Um, CFC traditions, the Chattahai Nuga Lows, the going to CFC and celebrating our wins and mourning our losses, the going on the road together and them coming over after the game and us, you know, whether it's high fives or clapping or chatting or whatever, like all of those things. Those um, close road trips. Those close road trips were so good, man. So good to have those back. The uh, the time with the women's players spent in Section 109, like during the men's games, like those are all things that are incredibly important that are like super high moments for the season. And like you said, establishing that culture, like these, these players for this year had a responsibility that was, I would argue greater than the responsibility of the next few years that the players will have off the field. And by that, I mean players that come in after this year, whether it's these players returning or new players will not have the same, they will have some responsibility in continuing tradition and in integrating into the community. They will not have the same um, responsibility and maybe pressure to, start these or restart these traditions. They will not be the first group coming back after the hiatus. There's only one season one, and this is season one, right? This is season one on the return. And so I, I re- am really, 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 I couldn't be happier, honestly, with how things went culturally with the team, with the fans, all that stuff. And it was very, very, very good. Let's do a little stats dive in here in the miscellaneous section. Okay. Uh, um, I'm going to read from some of your stats. Um, that mm-hmm. you you did here. So we have goals um, for the season. We had two for Kaylee Burrell, two for Jackie Montez, one for Isabel Aguilar, banger of the year, by the way, goal of the year. Um, one for Brianna Smotherman, who I would like to see back here at some point because she was such a lightning rod in that very first game, and I don't think we really saw much from her after that. Um, I'm guessing injury. I don't actually know. And then one from Damaris Gaines. So I, yeah, that's the goals. It's not enough goals, but also... It's more goals than I remembered. And they're all, I'm like, I, we all love goals, right? So like each one of those has a good, has a good memory, except for the two Kay- Kaylee Burrell goals that I didn't see, but that was good. If someone's North got Alabama stream um, didn't work. If someone's got a bootleg, a bootleg stream of those goals, I would love to see them. 
Uh, and uh, while we'll do assist, let me do assist right here, and then I'll make a note. Uh, assist, Jasmine Marquez with one, Isabel Aguilar with one, Jackie Montez with one. Uh, the Jasmine Marquez assist is on for one of the Kaylee Burrell goals uh, that was told to us by uh, one of the players on one of our off air on one of our podcasts. Uh, so we're we're relying on we're relying on a player's a player's say so there. Uh, they did not remember who had the second goal. So if you've got video, second I would assist, love to you, second see assist it. you mean the, sec- the, the assist for the second goal. Yeah. Uh, so if you've got video, Alex. Uh, I would love to be able to see it if possible to make sure that these stats are uh, updated and correct. One of the things that we, one of the things on the men's side that we did not do a great job with uh, that we've had to go back and piece together over time is keeping a a living, breathing record of history and stats. And uh, Paul Rustin has worked incredibly hard on this. did, I mean, did the lion's share of the work on the men's side, putting this all together. Um, I definitely did a lot of work over time, too. Um, just trying to make sure that we had the, the most complete history of possible for the men's side. And I don't know. I, I don't know if there are records out there for the CFC women's side in the past. I have no idea. Um, but that is that is something that I'm making sure uh, me, myself personally, I'm making sure that we have records for the women's side this time around. Um, and, and we will, uh, and, and like Alex and Jeremy, if y'all guys are listening, happy to, happy to pass those over and on um, so that someone else at the club, in case I get hit by a bus, has it. Uh, so, oh, one more thing. Hockey assists, my favorite category. We've got, uh, we've got Cece, uh, Sierra Rutten with one, and we've got Damaris Gaines with one. Uh, and that Damaris Gaines hockey assist is, getting taken down at Knoxville in the playoff game uh, for the penalty that Jackie Montez converted. Yep. Beautiful. Um, all right, let's do a little, uh, a fun little round table here. Matthew, what is your offense? Who is, excuse me, uh, what, what is your award? Who is your award for player of the season offensively? Offensive player of the season? Offensive player of the season. I'm going to go with Jackie Montez. Two goals and one assist. Uh, our leading point total uh, person uh, on the season, and I thought was a, I thought was a was a little bit of a live wire, especially in, uh, especially when she first started getting some playing time, kind of early mid of the season, uh, and and I think the stats speak for themselves on that one. Nice. I'm going to go with Isabel Aguilar. A couple reasons. Uh, first and most importantly, the volley. That this show loves bangers. The Section 109 yeah. podcast appreciates bangers, and that was the banger of the season. That was the goal of the season. That's goal of the season. That's goal. Yeah. That might be the goal of the WPSL season for any team. I mean, that volley is so good. Um, so no, that's number one. Number two, she also had a goal and an assist, and I felt like in possession, when she was in the game and playing well, we were an entirely different team. Um, this midfield struggled in possession, I feel like, overall, and she was a bright spot in possession and so when she was playing well, uh, which was most of the season, and when she was able to play, which was not the whole season, she was gone for the playoff game. There was, um, yeah. So like, anyway, when she was on, we were a much better team is my point. And I thought that she was probably the most important player in possession in the midfield. And that's why the other reason I'm giving her uh, my player of the season for the offensive side. Defensively. Shout out, shout out, hang on. Shout out to my offensive player of the season, Jackie Montez, for the shoulder assist. 
for that ball, banger volley. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Offensive uh, player of the season is down. Defensive player of the season. Breezy. Who do you got? Analanter. It's not even close. Um, there is an honorable mention here at the end, but like Analanter was just the defensive player of the year. She was the leader on and off the field. She was the player making the most plays defensively. It, in those like shellackings to Nashville, they would have been far worse if Anna wasn't stepping in to different moments and like taking the ball or, or blocking whatever, or making last ditch tackles or whatever else. She also played literally all over the back line. So yeah, Anna, and at Anna the Lanter. six and and at the eight, like she was, yeah, she was incredible this year. She was, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's unfair to say our best player this year overall. And it was wonderful to have her back. She captained the team with pride and I could not be more proud to have her captaining us um this year and I'm she was the best defensive player she's my defensive MVP and I've taken I would I've taken yours so go ahead and <laughs> I would uh I would give Anna Lancer like the overall team MVP uh but for defensive player of the season it's not even close it's Polly no questions asked Polly when no one else stepped up Polly did the thing she had to do to win a game Fouling is winning. Fouling's winning. That was our one win on the season. Polly makes that happen. Without her, we don't win that game. No questions asked, defensive player of the season. Honorable mention? Uh, Caroline Johnson and goal. I thought, I thought Caroline had to, uh, uh, had to deal with a lot of shots. Yep. And, um, and, and I think she came up big a bunch. And, and some of these scores could have been a lot worse without her. Uh, without her in goal. So shout out to Caroline. Uh, I think yeah. as the season went on too, she faced more and more um, kind of one-on-ones. And I think she faced some of those early on in the season, but I just remember her making three or four one-on-one saves. Um, some of those games could have been a lot worse. So yeah, totally agree. Caroline's the kind of the honorable mention for both of us on the defensive player of the year. Like I, it's hard to give it to a keeper. Like it feels wrong. Like you want to kind of want to give it to a field player, but yeah, she was really big and, and, really, really important to the kind of improvement as the season uh, finished with us finishing a little bit stronger. Um, oh, shout out, Alex uh, Patzel. You had a giant responsibility, if you're listening to this, in relaunching the women's team, and you crushed it. Um, the the off-the-field, and we haven't even gotten to that stuff, and we'll try to not belabor um, all of this too much, but like the off-the-field stuff and the logistics of running the team. And, you know, if you look at Anna Lanter's quote about the first the first time CFC Women was a thing and now CFC Women returning and the differences and how much better everything is uh, logistics-wise, buses, uh, sleeping arrangements, going places, food, you know, training, all the, like, all the logistical stuff, right? Like, the fact that all of that's better is a large, a large piece of that responsibility belongs to Alex, who did a, an unbelievable job from everything that we saw. So good job, Alex. Thank you. Um, it's a big responsibility uh, early in your career in sports and you, uh, you crushed it. Yeah. Big shout out to Alex. Uh, nothing more. Any dad there just off the field MVP. All right, let's go through some best things. CFC got right for 2022. We've done a lot. We just did the on the field stuff, which could tend a little negative. So do some fun stuff. Um, I'm going to, I'll go first uh, on field presentation. Um, the look of the women's games was identical to the look of the men's games. 
the men's professional games and the women's amateur games looked identical. They felt identical on the field. The ad, between the ad boards, the ad reads during the game, the reads for you know goals and substitutions and whatever else. The things that happened in-game, the in-stadium atmosphere on the field, the stuff CFC could control, stream aside, leave that aside, but in-stadium was identical to the men's game, 10 of 10. Um, there's I've got some issues with like some Finley Stadium stuff, but like the stuff CFC could control was 10 of 10, awesome, perfect, could not ask for more. Thank you. I mean, y'all crushed it. It's maybe some of it is having the ops person for CFC is in charge of the women's team, but also they just seamlessly transitioned between men's games and women's games. And there was a giant difference in the past in the in how women's games and men's games felt. There was zero difference. And that might be the the best thing the club could have possibly not maybe not. I don't, I don't know if it's the best thing they could have done, but it is the thing that they really executed and I have nothing to like critique about. It is It was perfect and I, I just hope we continue to keep that high standard. Something something we got right um, and this is, a, this is a, a front office women's advisory group kind of level thing. The women's team branding. Holy shit. The sky blue crest uh, inverting the colors uh, I mean, like the the moniker that I don't know. I don't know if it was if it was Smotherman on Twitter, if it was the uh, some of the folks from the four G three pod, which include a couple of women's advisory board members. You know, kind of low key calling them the Sky Blues. That's pretty cool. That's that's pretty damn cool. Um, I thought I thought the look of it was great. It was it's still CFC, but it's a little different uh, and and. Uh, kind of unique in its own way. And I thought it was, I thought that was really, really good. And you'll know, and you would have noticed if you were in stadium, which I'm not saying you, I'm saying like in general, if you're listening to this and you were in stadium, the women's flags were sky blue and there were so there were flags up top instead of the men's dark blue or in addition to the men's dark blue, the table in the middle of the field had the women's branding on it instead of the men's branding. Like everything was seamless and still CFC, right? Because the men's branding and the women's branding are not like, they're complementary. They're not, and they're distinct, so you know what's going on, but they're not like, this isn't the lady XYZ. Like, this isn't the lady Vols or whatever. This is CFC women and CFC men who have distinct branding, so you know what's going on, but it's still CFC women and CFC men. There's no difference, and it was perfect. The branding was absolutely spot-on perfect, including a little bit of extra jersey love for, for the women's team. Like, it was, I could not have asked for better on the branding front. Uh, I'll take social media content and, and strategy. Look, the I'll, I'll be honest. I had a, a private conversation with with some of the admins at when the first announcements were coming out. When we had like you know twenty five announcements in ten days or whatever for players, and I was a little disappointed that like things weren't. I didn't feel like uniform. However, from that moment on, and maybe I was wrong on that, by the way, like maybe like it was just an impossible task of of making so many announcements uniform through that period of time. From then on. From like the start of the season, essentially, the content was spectacular. The from the lineup graphics to the players getting off the bus, oftentimes like to uh, using the women's like um, players' social media like fun stuff that they did on Instagram, like and, and resharing that. Like it was fun. It was good. It was exactly what I would want. It was. Be- it's not only is it better than what we ever did before. It's exactly what should be there on a content strategy for a professional team. And like, again, I, I hold us to a professional team standards when we're looking at our women's team versus our men's team. We are a professional soccer club and this was nailed it out of the park, loved it. And I, I can't wait to see what they do next year because the, the content strategy for both teams, the men's and the women's team is really crushing it right now. And I, 
yeah, I could not ask for better. And I'm very, very proud of how they did it. One of the things, uh, switching gears a little bit, one of the things that I thought worked really, really well uh, and was a, a major positive was the, I guess, mentorship from the pro team, from the men's pro team side. So, you know, we had Jazz on the podcast talking about, uh, talking about how like, you know, Rod took her a little bit under his wing, invited her to practice, invited her to see like the professional side of the game uh, from, at least, from at least his perspective on giving her an opportunity to learn a little bit more uh, as she develops her coaching career. And uh, you saw, you know, Jordan Mathias, uh, the men's goal deep, goal, goalkeeping coach, uh, helping out, you know, a couple days a week with the women's side. Uh, that, I mean, that's very, very good. Uh, we might be working Jordan to death. Uh, we'll get there. But shout out. Jordan, don't worry. I'll advocate for a raise for you. And uh, you see you know, Isabel Aguilar taking, a, taking an internship in the, in the marketing department at the front office. Uh, that kind of stuff was really, really good. I'd love to see more of it uh, if possible. But the idea that uh, this women's team is not just like the separate thing, like it's a part of the club and where, uh, where we can help, where we can make things better. Uh, it's all one club. And we want to create, and, we want to create better humans, right. And more adept, better educated, better ready for their next challenges. And like jazz wants to be a coach in her, in her next step in life, like getting a chance to spend time with rod and the pro side. Like she said, helps her in her career. Like that's huge. And that kind of thing um, shows a renewed commitment that, you know, I think a lot of us felt like we didn't have the first time around. Um, this is, and I think that all the things we've talked about so far, right? The on-field presentation, the women's branding, the social media content stuff, the mentorship, the coaching, all that stuff is like a commitment, a true commitment from the club that we are now one club. It's not two separate clubs under one banner. This is one club, two teams, one club. Uh, the next piece is a corporate incorporation of academy and previous academy players. So uh, Ana Silva is kind of the the easiest piece of that to like use as evidence. She was she did some interviews. She showed some stuff. Um, she also played some significant minutes as the season went on. Um, but she's a young player, came out of CFC Academy. Uh, and she also talked about and there was other players, too, that talked about growing up, watching CFC women play, being excited uh, that CFC women was back and now being able to be on the team. Like, and there was also some players that suggested that the men's team and, and watching the men's team was also a big part of it. But this is huge for the club to have now a first team for the men and for the women so that girls can look and say, I can get somewhere. These can be my heroes. If the if it's not the men's players, it can be the women's players. It doesn't have to. It's not only a men's team to look up to. There's a first team for both and something for players to strive to play for and at. And, you know, I hope we someday have a men's amateur team too. But for now, we have a women's team, a first team, and a men's first team. And players playing in, in the boys' side of the academy and the girls' side of the academy can strive and as a hopefully have a pathway to that first team. And it's huge and it's important. And I hope that this is only the beginning. Um, and I was really encouraged with that connection this year. And the academy also, by the way, needs to put out players that have an ability to play professionally. And there needs to be a pathway. And they have to be good enough, obviously. But this is the first step in that and being a real club with uh, two first teams. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, Caroline and and some others talked about on the podcast how 
they, you know, they came off a tough loss, like didn't play well, whatever it was. And they've got, and, and you know, these girls are, are trying to get autographs, like, you know, in the stands with stars in their eyes. Yeah. These are the, like, we, we were literally making heroes and uh, that may be one of the most important pieces for me about having a women's team back is that the girls in our Academy, the girls in our city growing up deserve to have heroes on the field that are, that are not just men's pros. Yeah, I agree. And I think we saw the, a difference in the crowd that the biggest crowd we have that first home game, that standalone game, we had in that win, we had a lot of families with little girls. You saw a ton of just way more than a regular CFC men's game, like little kids, boys and girls, but especially girls with like jerseys on with their parents, like going through and like you just, it was really cool. It was really good to see. And it's a different crowd. It's not a, not completely separate, but it's a little bit different crowd. And I can't wait to see what that develops into next year. Um, the last piece here is establishing culture and we've kind of already touched on it, but um yeah, I think this was the the thing that was most important and the thing we got right. So I'll, I'll mention a couple things. One, Anna's leadership, I think, was essential to this. Bringing the players over um, to do the Chattahai Nugalos to... In the past, there was times where the women's team wouldn't even come over after the game to say something to the Chattahooligans or to wave or to clap or, you know, just have that moment after the game, right? Something that's really important to me and to us is to have that moment after the game. Whether we win or we lose, we mourn our losses together and we also celebrate our wins together. Um, CBC post game, you know, we had the players come, we had the players hang out, like we got to make personal connections and there wasn't that wall there that happens in professional sports. Um, and then road trips, having road trips back was, was so huge. So reestablishing that culture, I know we already talked about it, but I think that was so, so important and could honestly could not have gone better on that front. Um, let's talk about some highlights and best moments, Matthew. Yeah. And let's, let's move through this part kind of quickly. Uh, so we can get to the, maybe the more business end of, of this podcast. Um, I'll, I'll just throw out one opening way match, uh, to Nashville, just being there, just being there. That it was real because I mean, it was, it was real. You've listened to me yeah. say a million times the last couple of years that this wasn't going to be real. Until, <sighs> yeah. And it was real. Yeah. The amount of, the amount of times I had to tell you that you were just being a dumb, dumb. I am a dumb, dumb. I am a dumb dumb, but yeah, it's real. Facts. And it was back and that was huge and cathartic. Uh, Isabel's goal versus North Alabama. That volley, Banger. that volley was, I mean, we've already mentioned it the second time it gets mentioned. That's how good it was. Um, what a banger. And there's a good gif of it on, I think it's a gif anyway, or a short video uh, on Instagram. It's just the best. Pally red card. I'll Pally never stop did about nothing it. wrong. Nothing wrong. I'll never stop talking about that. The win versus North Alabama, the you know that was a banger of a game. By the way, it's three moments in one game, uh, and the crowd for that game, like that whole vibe. As much as I want, I really wanted there to be two thousand people there, and like I was personally just a little bit disappointed in that part. The vibe was great. The crowd was into it. The uh, intensity from the supporter section and the Nuga section, the Chatta and the Nuga section, were like really good. The after the game was great. Like everything about that, other than the total number of fans there, um, which is a thing that I can't control, right? Was perfect. And I, and we won and yeah, that was the highlight of the season was that game. Knoxville away, partly because it was a close road trip like Nashville and some of these other ones, partly because of the amount of support we had the third game in three days and people still showed up. They, they brought, you know, we all gathering at the beer castle beforehand. Um, and like, it was the best game we played all season. Um, just coming that just coming so short where so close you mean you you start to you, you just start to get hope 
And obviously it's the hope that kills it's you. It's the hope that kills you, Matthew. But like, that's one, that's one of those moments where it's just every, almost everything conceding late, whatever. 87 minutes was good. Everything, everything about that game and that experience and, and what was happening was really, really good. That was a great away day. That was a great away day. It was. It was. That's as good as an away day gets, other than winning. And like we were, we were this close. But like you, sometimes the ball doesn't bounce your way. But yeah, it was unbelievable. Road trips are back. That was such a fucking highlight of this season. I could not wait for road trips to be back. Um, one thing we've missed with the men's team um, that we used to have in the NPSL and we had in the WPSL as well um, was that we had close away uh, road trips, and we didn't have those for the last, I don't know, since we joined a professional league, and now we have them again. And yeah, I can't wait to do more of them next year. Uh, let's do some, let's do some hard stuff. Let's do some grades. Um, okay. So let's do an on-the-field grade, and let's do an off-the-field grade. And then you can, uh, we we both know what the other person, we have a show doc here, we both know what the other person graded, um, but we don't know exactly how that person arrived. We did not, agree, we agreed in the criteria, but you know, let's let's flesh it out a little bit, try not to take too long and, and bore the listeners, but let's talk about our grades. So on-the-field grades, um, I'm going to give us a 4 of 10. Why? The results were bad. 1-1 um, and 6 is simply not an acceptable um, CFC on the field grade. Again, no, no personal intent, like bad intent for anybody. Like we love you, but like just, I, I think everybody would agree it was bad. So I will give them a four of 10. It should be lower, um, but I'll give them a four of 10 because this team was essentially put together in three weeks, um, four weeks, whatever. Like this, the coach was hired in April. That's not Randy's fault. That is the circumstances that he was given. And these players did not try out in February and get to start like putting together a team like most teams would have back in the fall. These players were for the most part put together in the months in, in April came together in May and look, they absolutely gave it their all. And so I will give them some extra credit there and I'll put it at four of 10, but one win, one draw and six losses is genuinely a terrible season. And I think that I will give them a little bit extra credit and take it to four and not take it, make it, make it a two uh, because they had really, really difficult circumstances. So that's my grade. I'll give them a two. I have no problem doing that. Uh, one win, one draw. That's four points. Four points out of a total of 24 available. Uh, that's 16.67% of available points. I'll round up. It's a two. Now, before uh, anyone comes at me or anything, that's, I mean, that, that, that has a hard naked grade on purely based on results. Uh, this is a, this is a results, like sports are results based. Uh, so, so that matters. Before, I, I, but I, I'm not going to come out of here and just say like, you know, it was a terrible season, blah, blah, blah. Everything sucks. Like whatever. Because I think, and we'll get to the off the field grades as well, but so many things, uh, so many things about the return of the women's team this year were more important than results. It was about, number one, existing. Number two, establishing something to build on. Uh, treating the women's team with respect. Uh, 
putting putting forth the effort in terms of the on the field presentation, in terms of uh, building the culture, in terms of incorporating the academy, things that we did very very well. Uh, so when I give when I give a two out of ten for an on the field grade, it's purely results based. It's purely results based, and and frankly, frankly, and and I I'm a big results guy. But on the field just didn't matter much this season for me, for me personally. It just, it wasn't the priority. Uh, by the way, spoiler alert, that changes. Uh, now we have to take steps in terms of, in terms of some things we'll talk about off the field. That we, we need to see some improvements in some other areas. Constantly trying to get better, try, constantly trying to be uh, the best that we possibly can be for ourselves and not in comparison to anything else. But All right. I got next year. Next year, the results matter. Agreed. Um, I think the results mattered this year. Um, but anyway, here's a, here's a question before we get to our off the field grades, Randy, we saw a fight. We saw a coach get fired uh, in Peter Fuller this last year on the men's side um, after a very disappointing season. Is Randy coming back next year in your opinion? Yeah, I think so. I do too, and here's to, why: to to like to hire a guy at the beginning of April, have him put together a team in about four and a half minutes, and roll out there, play some soccer, have a bad season. If you fire a guy based on that, that's pretty harsh, man. Like, I don't know, is Randy a good coach? I have no fucking clue. Uh, uh, I I have not spent much time with him. I missed three of the four home games. Uh, you're the worst, by the way. Vacation and COVID and things like that. What? You're the worst, by the what way. Did you say you're a bad fan. Oh yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but like, I've not spoken to him. I've not. I've not spent any time with him. Uh, is he a good coach? I don't know. Did he make some decisions that that me who questions Antonio Conte on the regular, like one of the best coaches in like literal world football? Uh, did he make some decisions I didn't understand? Yeah. Uh, is that normal for people to disagree about tactics and things like that? Yeah, probably. Uh, I don't know, but I, I don't think, I don't think you can shit can a guy in those circumstances. I agree. And I, I, that's, you know, maybe someone knows more than I do, but so I'll put, I'll put it out two ways. Number one, unless there were issues that we don't know about bad locker room issues, like team, you know, whatever, unless there were issues off the field that we don't know about, but as far as on the field performance, you can't fire a guy that was put into a really, really tough circumstance. Um, you got to give him another year because I don't think you can properly evaluate him. Luckily, I don't get paid to do that. But I did think this was a question worth asking because I'm sure that some of the listeners at home are wondering the same thing. If we're giving a two and a four of 10, like, is that guy getting canned? And I don't think he is. Um, and so I think there's only one, you could fire him if there was cause of some kind, not, not on the field related, or, and I'm not advocating for this, but let's say you get a professional level coach who wants to come here and coach amateur soccer. At that point, you know, maybe he gets canned because it's an opportunity you cannot pass up. But short of that, I don't think you should fire him. I don't think we, I don't believe CFC as a, a family club should be firing coaches after one season when they never had any chance to succeed. Um, and, and I would be honest with you. I don't think based on putting a team together and like you said, four and a half minutes, he had any reasonable chance of success this year. And uh, yeah, that would be really, really unfair. And welcome back. Sorry for that. I don't know how the cut's going to go in post-editing, but uh, we had a computer acting up, a stream being weird, and had to restart. So, joys of technology. Um, 
All right, Matthew, off the field grades. So uh, you can go first on this one since I went first on the last one. But yeah, we did an on the field grade. Give me the off the field grade. Uh, off the field grade, I think is I think is good. I'm going to give it a seven out of ten, which maybe not be as uh, as high as I could give it. Uh, but I think I am grading a little bit. Um, like I, I thought, I thought it was, off the field was incredible, right? I thought it was really, really good. It, it, it was fantastic. Um, the support that that the the front office and that everybody gave this women's team uh, was was massive. All right. My seven out of 10 is less about 2022 and it's more about a couple of uh, comparisons, I think, to 2023. And we'll go over some of the improvements that we want to talk about uh, for next season and seasons beyond. Uh, But I want to make sure that like my seven out of 10 is is not actually indicative of this year. It is, it is, I think it was really fucking good off the field. And I think we can still get better because we're measuring against our potential, what we can be and not necessarily 2022. Exactly. Uh, And I realized, I realized that I went like super low on the, on the field, probably lower than I should maybe arguably off the field. Uh, But I I think I've got some stuff that I really want to see done uh, in the future. And we'll talk about those for the improvements. And if you meet those things, then now we're cooking towards cooking towards a, a you know a very high off the field grade. Beautiful. Um, I'm going to give a eight and a half of ten. So I am higher than you on this one. Um, I have some bullet points here, which I'll just kind of go through. Uh, stream was rough, but I so I took some off for that. Uh, socials were great overall. Game day vibe was fantastic. Uh, Finley's got some work to do, but I and I penalized us a little bit for that. Um, they're just having one beer. Uh, line open and one food line open for the the women's home opener, which was awesome, but also like terrible service from Finley Stadium. They did not have food choices. They had, but when I went up there to get something, they had nachos, popcorn, and candy bars. Get the fuck out of here, dude! Like you got you don't have hot dogs or um, burgers or like the basics. Like and and that is like not all. It's not necessarily CFC's fault, and that is the previous administration of Finley Stadium. So. Um, there's a new administration and I'm hopeful things get better, but CBC and player connection was great. Section 109 was good. The vibes were good. Maybe it wasn't as full as I would have liked it to have been, but it was very good and like solid, uh, road trips were amazing. WPSL sucks, but it is what it is. Uh, the stronger branding was amazing and fun. And my understanding is sold really well. And like, it was great to see in the Wolfsburg tie in like when I'm spoiler alert, there's some stuff I think we can do more with that, but like. I love that uh, little kids vibing and, and loving everything like all of that made it. So I'll give the off the field an eight and a half. I think it was really good. Um, yeah. Uh, the overall grade for the season, Matthew combining off the field and on the field. Nine out of 10. I realized that that's like a, like I took a two out of 10 and then a seven out of 10. And then I am giving it, I add them together. I'm getting nine out of 10. I'm not a math. Uh, uh, I'm not a math professor, but that was, that math doesn't add up. Matthew. The most important things about CFC Women 2022 uh, was being back, establishing a culture. Uh, the front office, who like we know, we know well and know they give a shit, but like proving to others uh, 
that they give a shit about this women's team. And it's not the same front office that it used to be. And I think like that's a critical point that a lot of people forget. Like it's not the same and how they presented the game, how the game felt during matches at Finley stadium was the same. You said it was, it was the same for the men as it was for the women, uh, you know, giving them buses and not like driving in vans. All of those parts of the experience were so good. And that's what counts for me this season. That experience that, that the women will take back wherever they're going, whether they're still local, whether they're going back to college, whatever it is. That experience is what counts this season for me. So I'm giving it a nine out of 10 because I thought a lot of things went really, really well in 2022. Uh, and, and, and arguably the, the off the field stuff, this should be an off the field grade. Nine out of 10 should be the off the field grade that I gave a seven out of 10 for. Uh, and so maybe the overall is like purely what I'm valuing for 2022. And it wasn't results. It was basically everything else. Right. And I think year one was good. I think year two can be better and we'll get to that. All right. Um, I disagree a little bit. Um, I give it a seven out of 10. Um, I just valued the on the field stuff a lot more. And I mean, on the field, I mean the actual performance of the, you know, the one, one and six just wasn't good enough. So I think the off the field stuff was maybe not as good as it can be, but like as good as could reasonably be expected. There's a lot to build on. There's a lot of good stuff and I don't have a lot of qualms there. Um, so that's kind of averaging the eight and a half and the four that I gave the seven and a half is a little bit higher or seven, excuse me, is a little bit higher than that. But I think that that's fair because I think the off the field stuff does matter more. Uh, like you said, um, this is proof of concept, right? This is proof of concept for showing like women's players that this should be the place you want to play. Chattanooga should be the place that you want to go where you're going to be treated better than anywhere else in the country, where you're going to have a, the best time, where you're going to, you're on the field is going to be an amazing time and you're off the field is going to be an even better time. Like they're going to be supported as if you were a professional club. Like that's, this is the proof of concept. We've proven that now we got to go out next year and execute better on the field. But yeah, I just, I came into this season hoping that we were going to compete for a region champion, not a region, like a, our conference for winning our conference and we weren't even close. And so, yeah, I, I just bumped that grade down a little bit. Um, but anyway, that's, you know, look, it's, I, I'm grateful that we started how we started. I'm grateful that we had a good start and overall it was an overwhelmingly positive return to the field for CFC women in 22. Now, this is where it gets, um, a little bit more difficult. We have some improvements for 23 that I think that we feel strongly about uh, that we're going to go through. And I, we, I won't belabor the stream, which is the first thing on this because I've already gone into that, but like, it's got to get better. Um, so yeah, let's, let's go in for some stuff that we want to see in, in 2023 and what can maybe take your score up on the off the field stuff uh, from seven to uh to higher. So my first one is very much not a criticism of 2022. Uh, and I, I want to make that abundantly clear, but I think one of the one of the the things that we could do in the future is flesh out a coaching staff. So this year we had Randy as the head coach, uh, and we had Jasmine as a assistant coach, but as a player assistant coach, uh, and then Jordan helping out Jordan Mathias helping out with the goalkeepers twice a week. I would love to see uh, for for twenty twenty three, uh, kind of like the full NPSL. Uh, assistant coach that or the coaching staff that we used to have, you know, Bill would come in, Randy, Bill's case, okay, same person, 
we usually had an assistant coach. Uh, for a long time, that person was local. Uh, that coached high school soccer. Uh, at one point in time, Matt Williams was around uh, before he went off to go do professional coaching. Uh, shout out Matt Williams. Uh, but I would like I would like to have some. Maybe by the way, maybe it's Jasmine. Uh, depending on if she wants to if she wants to play or not, like whatever the deal is. But I think we need to have an actual assistant coach that does not play, uh, that's around all summer. Uh, and if they need a housing spot, we should give them a housing spot separate of the of the housing spots for the for the actual rest of the roster. Um, I think that can really go up a notch. Um, I would also like to see a regular goalkeeping coach. Uh, that's not Jordan. No offense to Jordan. Love him. Uh, Jordan does a shitload for for this club and has for many 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 years. Uh, and I think he's great. But I would like to see. And and by the way, it's good that the CFC men as a whole, uh, that, that coaching staff have been willing to share, share some resources, share some time. Like that's fantastic. That's good. I don't really want that to change. Uh, but I do think like, it would be nice to have a, a goalkeeping coach that was there all the time. If that's possible, is that a high school, is that a goalkeeping coach? That's like currently in, in the high school level around town, uh, stepping up, maybe getting a little extra experience. Cool. Maybe I, I'm not, I don't want to put, broad parameters about something that I don't have super detailed experience with. Like it, that's already pretty difficult. Um, but I think, I think on the coaching staff side, we can go a little bit further and, and really do uh, really elevate this, this experience for the players. And um, so that's my, uh, that, that's the, on the coaching staff side. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. So I'll, I'll, add a little bit to that. I want to see a full-time assistant of some kind. Um, it can be Jasmine. It can be someone else. It doesn't matter, but a non-player. We've seen in the past when we had a player assistant. Um, this isn't the first time. And it's just, it's you're doing two jobs. Um, we saw it with Coach Fuller on the men's side last year. He needed an assistant coach and didn't have one. I believe uh, Randy needs an assistant coach. And so I believe we need to make that investment. I actually have two um, things, two suggestions here. So number one, uh, in the past, we have had... Um, we had Gretchen, uh, Gretchen was like the person running the team and she was also an assistant coach, but you also had coach Aaron Ridley. When she came in, you saw a massive difference. Number one in recruiting because she had amazing connections. Number two, she is a high level goalkeeper coach. She has been on several national team pools where she's been a goalkeeper coach and she is a high level coach in general. You saw a real improvement, uh, in the goalkeeping once she, Gretchen came in. I'm sorry, excuse me. Once, um, Aaron Ridley came in and because she was a goalkeeper coach. That's my belief. She recruited uh, Cosette Morche, who is a playing professionally in Spain still. Shout out, shout out. Just got, uh, just got a transfer to Valencia in, in the, uh, in the, the, the women's version of La Liga. Huge deal. Um, she also had Daniel Krizniak, who is also a great goalkeeper. Uh, goalkeeper. We saw a real improvement in goalkeeping. Um, something that Caroline mentioned to us, uh, I think, on the pod could have been off the pod, but that in college there was not, uh, there were not goalkeeper coaches her entire college career. She had it for some of her college career and some of it she didn't. Uh, she mentioned that it was such a really like refreshing and wonderful thing to have Jordan two days a week doing goalkeeper drills, working with just the goalkeepers. So I don't believe we have to have just a goalkeeper coach. I believe we either have to have an assistant coach who is has goalkeeping experience to provide that because I think that when we're looking at improving players, we just have some evidence that goalkeeping is really important 
this year, Caroline kept us in a lot of games, right? And also, you just want to have good goalkeeping. So I think we need either an assistant coach with goalkeeping abilities, or we need a full-time assistant and a goalkeeper coach, like you said, that comes in. Either way, we need an expanded coaching staff um, to help these players improve. We should be getting players that are sophomores, juniors, and seniors, and probably maybe some freshmen too. So, And we need them to improve as they are here before they go back to their coaching um, and that they're going to be having for their college career. And I will also throw out two names here um, as ideas. So Juan Hernandez is nearing the end of his professional career. I don't know that this is his last year for sure, but he's not currently seeing minutes for Chattanooga Football Club, the men's team. He has he has his B license. I don't I know he's coaching women's soccer in the academy. I don't know what his interest is, but I would love to see him looked at as an option at for the assistant coach or maybe just coming into the women's team as one of the goalkeeping help or something, right? I would love to see him if he chooses to and if he has the time. If he's playing full time, I don't believe he has the time, but if he chooses to hang them up. I would be very interested if we don't have another, and I would prefer to see a female assistant, by the way. that's I, I think you want a strong like female leader role in this. But if we don't have the option for a strong female role model in the assistant coach pool, then I think Juan is someone they should look at. And, and or, we saw Tommy Salsa last week. He is the assistant coach at, I believe he's the assistant, I don't think he's the head coach, at Knoxville. He took a job. Locally here, he's at Bryan College now. Uh, he's coaching women's soccer. He would fill, for me, the full-time assistant role well as an assistant coach. He obviously recruited well because Knoxville was pretty good. And he's a, goal, a former goalkeeper as well and a goalkeeping coach. So he could be the goalkeeping coach and assistant coach at the same time. Full-time assistant. He has CFC pedigree and background. I have no idea if either one of those guys is going to be a fit, but I'm just planting that seed now that if I'm thinking about, you know, guys I would love to see. Uh, and again, I prefer that it was that it was a female coach, but if it's not going to be, those are two guys with tie-ins, with experience, with deep club roots that understand what it's like and understand what's important about Chattanooga Football Club and could help Randy. I'm not suggesting either one of them take Randy's place. They could help Randy take the coaching um, thing to the next level, give him more resources, give him more help, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I, uh, I, and like, I'm, I'm going to go back specifically here. Like this also, I think this also could be jazz, love jazz. Um, I thought other contributions were really important. Um, I, I would like to see just three dedicated coaches, one of which being a goalkeeping coach, um, you know, an assistant that, that, that there is, whether they're here for just the summer or like whatever the deal is, like they're the assistant coach, uh, for the women's time agreed women's side to go along with, to go along with Randy agreed. Let's, uh, let's, let's move to, um, let's move to another kind of like roster, a bit, and I'm gonna I'm gonna include multiple things in in this kind of category here. Uh, part one: housing spots. We had ten this year. Um, I would like to see that number go up. I think as we as we look at, yes, there's a, lo a local player pool, uh, and we drew heavily from that local player pool this year. Uh, but if our mission, and maybe I'm putting something on the club that we're not necessarily ready for or, or have it not totally envisioned, but I'll say that for the third time in this podcast, I want CFC women's amateur team to be the destination for women's amateur soccer in this country. I want players coming in that are high level players. that are looking to go pre professionally, both in the United States and in Europe. I want players to come here, uh, be it their sophomore year, their junior year, senior year, whatever it's going to be. Because they view this Chattanooga football club 
as a place that will make them better, will make them more competitive, make them ready to be drafted into the NWSL. Um, in the future, maybe ready to springboard into the USL Super League, uh, the the year-round eventual goal in a couple of years for that USL wants to do for women's professional soccer. Uh, and to springboard, for especially for foreign players, for maybe for Americans too, uh, those with a the, with the European passport, to springboard into Champions League level clubs in Europe. So maybe it's in, uh, you know, Chelsea has is invested a lot more in their women's team uh, in these last few years. Uh, Tottenham is starting to do the same. Arsenal's women's program is incredibly good. Manchester United, Manchester City, some big clubs in, 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 in the UK already on the women's side, and they're getting, and they're getting bigger. You've got FC, you know, Bayern Munich has really started to invest in the women's side recently. Obviously, Lyon just won the Champions League. PSG is investing. Italy now has a professional women's league uh, for the first time in, I don't know, about a billion years. Barcelona is, you know, a lot of people thought Barcelona was going to run the table in the Champions League. They were so incredibly good. They went undefeated in La Liga. Uh, Real Madrid's invested as well. And, oh, by the way, a big women's Champions League team every year. They got bounced, I think, in the quarterfinals this year by Chelsea. Is Wolfsburg our partner across the pond? Wolfsburg. Uh, what better way when we're talking about building a roster that includes preparing players for the NWSL and preparing players for hopefully women's Champions League in Europe? What better way to have you know Wolfsburg's you know, American scouting contingent? having players get sent here to have a look at it. Like we're, I mean, we're partners and I don't know if that's necessarily feasible in year two. We may not be ready for that in year two, the level of play uh, that we had this year. Like, obviously I, I don't think is the type of play, the type of player that Wolfsburg would be looking at in year two, maybe hopefully as we, as we progress, as we, you know, get a little bit better each year, improve this concept a little bit each year that we, we get to a place where we are that kind of destination and to where Wolfsburg's connections, especially with, I'm assuming, German players uh, that are already in the United States for the college system, you know, we can, they can route them and say, hey, like, we're, we're interested in signing you after college. If you want, like, we want to get a better look at you, go to Chattanooga. Um, and, and hopefully we can leverage some of those partnerships a little bit better. Um, but to do this, to attract some of the, the, the highest quality players uh, um, and, and, and to attract a, a team, a team of high quality players, I don't think 10 housing spots is enough. We had, we had more when we were an NPSL team on the men's side. And um, we've always talked about how the women's amateur team needs to be treated with the same sort of uh, respect and resources as the men's NPSL teams were. And that involves, for me, increasing housing spots. Uh, I don't know what the number ever was for the men's side. It was, I think, maybe close to 20, maybe a little bit more. Um, and I would like to see that year two, obviously. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say as a stepping stone, uh, because I think it's important to not bite off too much. Uh, they can shoot. The housing market's crazy right now. We all know that. Let's get to 14. Let's get to 14 in year two. Uh, and let's build upon what we started this year. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. We actually put the same number here as 14. Uh, I will just add that I think there's a balance to be struck here. I could not agree more with you about the being the destination for hopefully U.S.-based um, amateur soccer, right? Like, hopefully this is a place where people and players want to come, where coaches want to send their, their players. I will say that I think it's important that we maintain the pathway to the to the women's first team from the academy and that we give local girls a chance to make that roster to compete for starting minutes to compete for substitute minutes so i don't necessarily want to see us get to 20 um right away i think 14 is the right number um and i think that then you can fill out the we proved this year you can fill out the roster there's a lot of local players that came in late in this process that still played significant minutes there could they they can be the backstop of the team. If you have 30 players, roughly, and we had 30, 31, I think, on the roster this year, Like you can fill up with local players, especially if we're starting earlier in the process, you can fill up half that roster. Give or take 15, between 7 and 15, whatever it is, with local players. I think that's important. I think that it's important that those players have a pathway. Um, but yes, I agree. For 14, let's keep the balance between them, but also let's make sure we're devoting um, not just club resources, because I realize we're spending club money here, but also making sure we're competitive on the field. And one way you get more competitive is that you're able to bring in more players from all over the country. In the past, when we had uh, our best season ever with Coach Aaron, she brought in players from all over the country. Bunch from Arkansas, a couple from we had a player from Hawaii, McKenna. Like we've had, we've had players from all over the place, um, and there was a lot more players that came in as part of that core and that continued on. And I think that a big part of that is having housing options so that you can take some risks, you can bring some players in, and then also you can just have a bigger pool of players that come in from all around the country. So, uh, could not agree more with you. Fourteen is what I hope we see next thing, next thing, next season. I'll say next thing. I don't know what I'm. Uh, what I'm saying uh, shows we're getting towards the end of this podcast. Um, Speaking of the next thing, let's, I want to go, I want to go with another, my last, and maybe we'll think of something right afterwards, but my last written down uh, improvement thing for 2023, I would like to see some sort of preseason. And what I mean by that is something that the things that happened before the first regular season game, uh, in, I'm going to compare to the NPSL times again. In the NPSL, uh, sometimes, especially early on, uh, we might play like a scrimmage with like the Dalton All-Stars or something like that. Uh, but at minimum, there was, especially later uh, in the NPSL days, once we kind of refined it, there was some sort of preseason match. Uh, and I'd like to see something heading in that direction to just better prepare, better sharpen uh, the women's team for, for summer competition. And I think at minimum scheduling is hard. Like a lot of things, a lot of factors go into this and make, makes it difficult. Um, it's hard to schedule college, college teams, because if you've got a lot of college players, you know, how do you have everybody in? Do you not like who gets released? Who doesn't? Uh, but I think at minimum, we should have an inner squad scrimmage, uh, before the first regular season game, an opportunity for fans to come out and watch, uh, to watch their their heroes that summer play, an opportunity for for some of these women to get some match fitness and some sharpness that they're going to need for the season. Um, that's that's I think bare minimum I'd like to see is a is an inter squad scrimmage game. Uh, I don't think in, hopefully in twenty three maybe it's twenty four. I'd love to see 
us play preseason match with a, another squad. We've got Asheville City just sitting there uh, that we haven't played since 2019. And I think it'd be really, really cool. Yes, they're in the W League, and that's a there's those, those, those dynamics there. And they play a lot more regular season games than we do at, at present right now with the WPSL scheduling. But I'd love to see us get a game with them. Maybe get two games with them in a, in a home-and-home type situation. Let's go. I think that'd be really cool. Uh, in a way to get, to get our women some more games, to get an extra home game on the schedule. And, and get a great road trip. I would love yeah. to go back to Asheville. Yeah, and, and really just elevate the entire experience for everybody. And my last thing is this, and this is not, this is not for 2023, but it's something I think we should be shooting for. Just like when the men hosted a pro team in Atlanta United and FC Dallas and Nashville, uh, the latter two of those taking place in 2018. I would love to see kind of a weekend recruiting experience for uh, local players that are still here that are, are going to keep playing for the squad um, to, to, to play for and an opportunity to, to bring in uh, obviously with college coaches permission, some of these, some of the best that, that we possibly can women's players in, in college soccer to come in for a weekend to get to know each other, get to know the coaching staff, get to know the city a little bit. Some of them may have already signed for the summer. Some of them may not have been signed. Maybe I'd be recruiting them. Uh, and, and to like have a have a match, an exhibition match during the uh like during the NWSL preseason. So sometime in the spring. Uh racing Louisville, for example, right now is an NWSL team about five-ish hours away, uh, four and a half, five hours away up in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, and I don't need to play racing. It could be literally anybody. But that's an opportunity to bring in a, a women's pro team in the United States as an opportunity to be, a, to be a preseason match for them away from home and also showcase uh, showcase Chattanooga for, for women's college players. Uh, and really, as we continue to try to build this program again to be the best amateur destination that we can possibly be in this country – what better way to do one of the things that made Chattanooga so unique and so wonderful on the men's amateur side, the opportunity to play against professionals, uh, even at the highest level of, of U.S. domestic soccer in, in, in the pro game. And like, again, I don't need that to be 2023. We wouldn't we would not be ready for that in 2023. I can't imagine. But I'd love to see us aim for that in, in 24 and, and maybe beyond. I, I could not agree more. I'll add a couple of caveats here. Um, preseason's hard to schedule. We already said that. So even if that Asheville game, for example, happened after week one, right? Imagine we did intra-squad scrimmage, week one in WPSL, and then we either go home or away to them. That gives you still an extra game early on to kind of gel. Um, we saw this team gelled as the season went on. Our performances got better as the season went on. Part of that would be improved with an, I believe, an open door intra-squad scrimmage and then just another game early on in the season that maybe doesn't count towards WPSL standings. Um, so that's the the first piece. Uh, number two, something we, we kind of didn't go over too much, but with Wolfsburg, with that connection, with the FC Alliance partnership in Nashville, with like some of the stuff. Knoxville, sorry, I said Nashville, my bad. Knoxville. Um, I think that there's some more work to be done, and there just, I'm sure, was not time this year. But going forward, I want to see those partnerships leveraged. Uh, FC Alliance has been a really, really good academy, and you saw how good um, the Knoxville Force team was this year. There is, a, there is really, really good talent up there. Why would you play in Knoxville when you could play in Chattanooga in front of fans? 
in a that a team that has ball kids. Like, sorry, Tommy Salsa. Like, your team doesn't have ball kids. Like, it was it's absolutely embarrassing. You played at a at a high school where nobody came to support you except your your parents. Like, if, if you want to play somewhere that's like going to give you a really really good time and a springboard, it should be Chattanooga. So hopefully, everybody in the conference saw and all those players in the conference saw that hey, Chattanooga is the place to play. I hope that's the case, but I think FC Alliance could be a big portion of that potentially to send us some good players um, that are coming out of that academy and with the partnership with ours. And then Wolfsburg as a carrot, there are players who are going to want to go. I mean, many, many players are going to want to go pro. We should be recruiting and some of those players should be arriving here with their eye on going to Wolfsburg. Um, We have that pipeline. I don't know how that works. I don't know if that's even realistic, but in my mind, I make those two connections. That may not be a thing in, in 23, as you said, with the getting a friendly, right? It may be a thing in 24 or 25 or something like that, but it's something we should be working towards is improving that connection. Wolfsburg says they are committed. They committed money. They committed sponsorships to making the the women's team here successful. They are doing work in the community to develop women's soccer in Chattanooga. That is all great. The logical next step for me is that they will want something that benefits their first team. They will want something that helps their for women's first team. And if they want to do that, they've won the Champions League, I believe, twice. They're going to want to continue winning that. They're going to need a home base in the U.S. for amateur players, and it should be here, and we should be seeing amateur players go professional through the professional pipeline and aim to go to Wolfsburg. Uh, I Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, um, is there anything else we're missing, Matthew, in this uh, season review, season wrap-up? I think we, I think we covered it, honestly. Uh, we, I know we put a lot of thought into this one. Um, unlike our show, normal, unlike our there's normal some show docs, there's some show docs. We don't always, uh, flesh out super, super strongly, but this one, like we took our time, like took it, took a couple extra days before we were recording to, to really go through and to think about some of these improvement items that we want to see. Um, and, and the listeners, if you've got, if you've got some ideas, uh, that you want to see, shout us out on social media, find us, um, we'll have the, Obviously, all the all the handles and the show notes and things like that. Also, we also we want if you want to know what you think. We want to know what you think, but also if you want to make um, if you want to make suggestions and you don't want to make it a two idiot podcasters, you can also make those suggestions to the CFC shareholder rep, Jamian. He is his inbox is always open. If you have brilliant ideas or even bad ideas that you want communicated to the board about the women's team or about anything, you can always message him. You can also message the Women's Advisory Board, which is made up of mostly supporters and coaches and whatever else that are women that are helping shape this team. They don't have a woman on staff, on the coaching staff, but they have mentors and and women helping shape this as it goes. So reaching out to them, reaching out to Shelly, reaching out to Shabby, reaching out to Amanda Moore. Um, I actually don't know who else besides those three, but I know those three well. And they, I promise you, would love to take your feedback. I know I'm volunteering them for work here, but they would love to take your feedback if you've got ideas. If you if you want to get involved, like the Chad Hooligans always need help. We need help supporting the women. We need help supporting the men. The women's season is over. The work to start the uh, women's season in 2023 starts now. Anything left, Matthew? I think we're good. All right. Thank you, guys.